believe. Praise the Lord. My daughter, I was talking to her the other day, and she was she had listened to a message on the computer somehow or another. And uh, she said, Dad, I noticed that you went back to the King James Version. <laughs> I said, well, now you caught me on that. I said, uh, what I was trying to do was do the NIV in the Old Testament and the King James Version in the New Testament because I thought the King James Version they could understand a little bit better in the New Testament because I want everybody to understand it. I really do. The problem is I sometimes... I study out of the King James Version. That's the Bible I've always used. And so when I make my points and then I do it out of another version, then it doesn't sound, sound, sound the same. And uh, so what I'm doing that today, we're going to the new King James Version. I'm trying to, trying to find a happy medium there and see if we can uh, do it where everybody can understand it. We're on a series called How God Changes His Children. And uh, we're looking at the ways, the things God uses to change us. That's what he said in Philippians. He, well, he began a good work in us, and he will complete it and continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's working in our, in our lives to change us and to mold us and to make us and transform us into the image of his dear son. And so last week we looked at troubles and trials. Anybody have any troubles and trials last week? Oh, <laughs> Uh, well, today we're going to look at answered and unanswered prayer. How does God work in un answered and unanswered prayer? And so let's try it in the New King James Version here. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. That sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? Here's the flip side. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and obtain and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. One of the greatest inventions, I guess, most life-changing inventions, I don't know if it's great or what, in the last two decades have been the cell phone. Uh, is anybody here, just curious, anybody here that does not have a cell phone? There's one. Bless you. Uh, uh, I was, I, I'm still one of the old-fashioned people that's got a landline at my house. And I was trying to change it this week, and they said, if you change it, then your Internet service is going down from 25 to 10. I said, that's a racket. And I'll, I'll keep it. All I get is telemarketing calls on that landline. But anyway, I'll keep it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, cell phones are very, very big today. Even little kids have got cell phones. I heard one old guy said, me and my wife got married at outdoor wedding. We got married right next to a cell tower. And the old boy said, was it any good? He said, the wedding wasn't any good, but we had a great reception. Anyway, uh, uh, that sounds like an Aaron Owens joke. I apologize for that. Uh, one, man, one man was going down the interstate in his car, and uh, he was so upset, he said, he was telling his wife, he said, I saw a, a college girl drive by me about 80 miles an hour on the interstate texting. Made me so mad, I started to throw my beer at her. 
But anyway, any, uh, so everybody's got their own things they're doing while they're driving. Uh, once in a while, the cell phone will go off in church and embarrasses somebody. Uh, and sometimes we lose our phone and it's frustrating. You try to dial the number so you can hear where it's ringing and it's already, the battery's gone dead and you can't even hear where it's at. There's a lot of things. Listen to this. This is how much people depend on the cell phone. 71% say they check their cell phone within 10 minutes of waking up. So three out of four people, they're going to check it within the first 10 minutes just in case something slipped up on them last night. 53% they have never gone 24 hours without their phone. 35% admit, now this is just admit, I guarantee it's more than this, to looking or using at their cell phone while they drive. 61% say they have texted or called somebody in the same room they're sitting in or they're in. <laughs> Man, well, I'll tell you. Uh, the average person, towards statistics, check their phone 344 times a day, once every four minutes. And 45% say their cell phone is the most valuable possession they own. Now, here's the negative. Here's the cons, some serious cons to the cell phone. Do you know that there's more cheating in school now than there used to be? Kids can text the answer to their friend across the room and the teacher doesn't even know it. Uh, the expensive price, most of them cost between $500 and $1,300. The high level of danger, there's a higher percentage of car accidents among teenagers because of cell phones. Distracting, it distracts us from paying attention to things that are important. It's an addiction. Many people are addicted to checking their Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Teenagers average seven hours and 22 minutes a day on the cell phone. Sex exploitation, sending sexual messages or pictures to one another. You wonder how in the world we got along without these things. Another thing that's, that can mess you up on the cell phone, if you're breaking the law, which is good, it'll catch you. Uh, they can track people to where they were where, according to their cell phone and they can put them at the scene of the crime a lot of times just by that or they can find you uh, by tracing you with GPS and whatever on the cell phone. Sometimes cell phones can get you in a lot of trouble. There was four old buddies that went to play golf at this nice exclusive country club and they went into the locker room to change their dress shoes and put them in the locker and put on their golf shoes and things and they were sitting in there sitting on the bench across the lockers and phone ringing there on the bench and the, and the guy one of the guys picked it up and had it on the speaker and and his wife was saying honey i just saw a beautiful mink at the store would you let me buy it? it's it's twenty five hundred dollars please he said honey go ahead anything nothing to anything you want you're worth it she said thank you honey and she said but by the way i went by the car dealership and that car I've been looking for, it's in the color I want. It's got everything I want. Can I go ahead and get it? He said, what's it called? She says, $80,000. He said, go ahead. The other men are listening to this. And finally, she said, I got one more thing. You don't believe all this is happening at one time, but this, this is a big one. The house we've been wanting all this time on the beach, it just came on for sale. They asked $950,000 for it. He said, wow, that's a lot, but... Offer them 900000 let it go at that. She said, thank you, honey, I love you. He said, I love you. The other men were listening to him and said, man, can't believe that. He looked at him and he said, does anybody know whose phone this is? 
Uh, it can get you in trouble. Uh, somebody can give a lot of permission for you. Anyway, one of the great things about uh, cell phones or phones is caller ID. You can see who's calling you, and you can pick it up or not pick it up. And sometimes uh, you may not want to answer it. That's the way prayer is. It's our communication with God. And sometimes it seems like God's not picking up. And sometimes it seems like he is picking up, and he's picking up quickly. So that's what we're going to be dealing with a little bit today. We're going to continue on this series of how God changes us, and how does God change us in this thing called prayer. Soren Kierkegaard, uh, the great philosopher there, he said this, Prayer does not change God. It changes us. Hmm. Let's look at that today. Let's look at the privilege of prayer and the importance of prayer. During the first three, three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, they asked, the disciples asked Jesus a lot of questions. He asked them a lot of questions. One of them, and we don't know which one, but one of them asked him one day, would you teach us to pray? They'd watch him. They'd see he'd go off and pray all night, and he would pray, and things, miraculous things would happen. They knew they didn't have a prayer life like he had, and they said, teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us how to sing. Teach us how to worship, teach us how to witness, teach us how to counsel, teach us how to preach. They didn't say nothing. They said, teach us how to pray. And so he taught them, we call it uh, the Lord's Prayer, but he taught them about prayer. John Wesley said this, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Martin Luther said this, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. E.M. Bounds said this, prayer outlives the lies that uttered them. It outlives a generation. It outlives a world. How does God answer prayer? Now, I'm going to say this. God loves to answer prayer. God loves to answer believing prayer. Uh, he loves to interact with his kids. He loves to give to his kids more than you love to give to your kids. You say, I don't believe that. Well, that's what the Bible says. Jesus says, if you being evil, y'all are evil compared, ain't even nothing close to me with your old sinful nature. If you love to give good things to your children, how much more does the Heavenly Father love to give the Holy Ghost to those who are His? So it, it says He loves to give more than we love to give. And the Bible says it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's, it, it, it brings pleasure to Him. But we don't always get. We don't have much of the time. A lot of times it's because we ask not. But I'm like evangelist uh, Louis Palau. I don't know if he's still alive. I think he died a few years ago. But he said this. I'm going to give him the credit for this. God always answers, but the answers will come in one of five ways. And here's what he said. Sometimes the answer is going to be no. No is an answer. You know that. So just because you don't get what you want, it doesn't mean that God didn't answer you. Uh, he says, no, I love you too much. I want something better than what you're asking for, or I know what you're asking for is going to hurt you right here down the road. I'm seeing something else, so I'm going to say no to that. No, I love you too much. Number two, yes, but you're going to have to wait a little bit for it. Hmm. Sometimes we're not on God's time schedule. I can tell you this, I'm almost always ahead of God. Not that I'm smart, but I'm a lot more impatient. I can't wait for, what him, for him to do something. A lot of times I go ahead and do it myself and get in a real mess. 
Uh, how many here are just curious? Coming up, we're already into the thir- last third of this year. And so for another couple months, we'll be thinking about Christmas and things like that. How many here are the type of people that you've got at least 90% of your Christmas shopping and all done by the 1st of December? There's a couple. Some of you are waiting until Christmas Eve to start your shopping. I know that. But some people get ahead of time. But even though you've you got it all done ahead of time, you don't want them to open it until Christmas. There's a time that you want the answer to come even though you've already prepared it. A lot of times God's got the answer already prepared, but he's waiting for the right time. Sometimes the time is just as important as the answer, the time it comes. So he says, yes, you're going to get yes, but you're going to have to wait just a little bit before, you, before I bring it. Number three, he's going to answer prayer. Yes, but I'm not going to give it to you the way you expect it. Uh, sometimes we're believing God, we're looking for it's going to be either answer door number one, number two, or number three, and sometimes it's coming in the side door or the back door. You know, the, the Israelites were looking for God, looking for the Messiah, and uh, they missed him when he showed up. It wasn't exactly the way they were looking. Here's number four. He said, here's the next way God's going to answer. Yes, and there's more than what you're even asking for. See, God's not stingy. You know, I, some people, I know you, Money's tight and all this, I realize that. But some people go to a restaurant and they're going to leave a tip and they're counting, you got change for a quarter. I don't want to leave this whole quarter. Uh, I want to break this down in nickels and pennies or whatever. God's not like that. He does exceeding above, abundantly above all we ask or think usually. So he's not trying to be chinchy on you or anything like that. So the fourth way, he's going to say yes and I'm going to give you more than what you're anticipating. And then the, fourth, the fifth way he's going to answer, he's going to say yes. I never thought you'd ask. He gets tired of watching us struggle and fumble and fight and fail when he said, if you'd let me involved in this, I could help you on this. I could do something. And he just, we have not because we just don't ask. Okay, let's look at the potential of prayer for just a moment. We believe you're supposed to pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Now, I'm not trying to give a little concise formula. I mean, you can just cry out, Jesus, whatever, but... We believe Jesus taught to approach the Father in the name of Jesus. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Let me say this. The name God was so holy to the Jews, they wouldn't even speak his name. But when the scribes and the Pharisees would write in the scriptures, what they would do a lot of times, the scribes, they would go when they come to the name of God, and they would go put their pen down, go take, a, take off their clothes, take a bath, put on new clothes, pick up a new pen and write God's name. Because it was so holy. Now we go the other extreme. We go against the second commandment. We take the name in vain. We use it so loosely and so casually that we don't recognize him for who he is a lot of times. But Jesus told us to pray in his name. And uh, that's a big thing. Let me just show you some scriptures in John's gospel. It says this. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Next one. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. John 16, 23 and 24. In that day you will ask me nothing. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So that's why we believe in praying in the name of Jesus, asking the Father in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? Is there something magic like abracadabra or uh, open sesame or are we using it like a, it's, a, it's a magic formula or something like that? When you pray in Jesus' name, first of all, you're recognizing his supremacy. You know, we used to sing a song the old, when we were going to Zambia and all, they, we'd learn that song, there's no one, there's no one like Jesus. There's no one, there's no one but him. Uh, that's true, and that's what it, we're recognizing. He is supreme. We're recognizing his authority. You're acknowledging his authority. Uh, you're admitting that you depend completely on him. Uh, John 15 talked about, without me, you can do nothing. We live in a world of authority. Let me explain this to you. Everything in the world operates on authority. Kids are under the authority of their parents. Students are under the authority of their teachers or the principal in the educational system. Uh, citizens are under the authority of law. Uh, there's many different ways that we, we come. Employees are under the authority of their employer. You know, you're under that authority. Now, Jesus had a centurion come up to him one time and he said, well, I want you to, would you pray? He'd watch Jesus and listen to him. He said, would you pray? I've got a servant that's sick. And Jesus said, I'll come, I'll come to your house and pray for and heal him. He said, you don't have to do that. I, I'm a man of authority. I understand authority. I got people under me and so forth. I tell them to do this. All you got to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. Amen. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to come. No, he didn't. He said, I haven't seen such faith like that in all of Israel. Wow. What did the people do whenever they listened to Jesus teach? The common people. They were impressed because they've been listening to the scribes and Pharisees, Sadducees teach all this time. They say he doesn't teach like them. He teaches with authority. It was something completely different. You remember David when he went to face Goliath? Goliath was laughing at him and everything. And uh, David said this to him, You're coming at me with a spear and a sword, and I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord. And that authority... You remember the Old Testament story? Uh, I can't remember which book it's in, probably Samuel or Kings or one of them. Uh, the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant, taken it back to their place, put it in the temple of Dagon, their god, their idol. Next day when they woke up, their god was laying flat on his face. And they picked it back up and put it back up. Next day, his head was broke off, his arms were broke off, and they said, we're taking this back to the Israelites. God's even authority over the false idols and everything else. But it recognizes his authority. There's only one who rules and reigns. There's only one way to go to heaven. It's the name of Jesus. There's only one way to go into the throne of grace. It's through Jesus. And so that's why we pray in his name. Number three, you're submitting to his will when you pray in his name. Uh, when you're praying in Jesus' name, it means you want his will to be accomplished. You're not just... Ordering Jesus, God, I got some errands for you to run for me today. Go do this, 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 and this. No, you're you're coming in His name, so you, we're we're very concerned about what His will in this situation is. That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit to line us up with the will of God. 
And the fourth thing you do when you pray in his name, you're really saying, I'm representing you in your kingdom. Uh, we are God's ambassadors. Uh, we represent his interests in the world. We're not only doing our, we're not doing our thing. We're supposed to be advancing his kingdom, be led by his spirit and so forth. When Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, and they went out and they'd come back and report in what they'd, what they'd saw or what they'd, happened to them, they were amazed that the demons were subject to them in his name. And listen to what they said in Matthew 10, 40. Jesus said this, He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He's saying if they receive you, they're receiving me. He's showing the connection there uh, that's very hard for us to grasp sometimes. Here's what he said in Luke 22, 29. I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father appointed it unto me. In other words, me and you are connected. Uh, I'm going to be sending you out in my name. I'm going to be uh, leaving the Holy Spirit to empower you in my name and, and lead you and so forth. You remember when, when Paul was on the road to Damascus and the Lord knocked him off his horse and the bright light blinded him and he's having this conversation with the Lord. He said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And he didn't have any. He said, I'm not persecuting you. What he's saying, what Jesus is saying, you're persecuting my people? You're persecuting me. There's a connection between us and him. So when we pray in his name, we're, we're, we, we represent him. We're his ambassadors. Now, so prayer is a very big thing to us. How does God change us by answering our prayers? And how does God change us when he doesn't answer our prayers? That's, what we're, that's the topic of what we're talking about today. All right, let's look at that. Let's look at the lessons and how God can shape our mind, our body, our spirit, or whatever by answering our prayers. Number one, he answers in different ways than we request. What, we, what he's trying to show us, hey, look, buddy, I've got the final say on this. It's not you, it's me. Uh, I've, said, I've said many times, when you pray, you know, we have to expect an answer. If you don't expect God to answer, you're not praying. Right. Kayla and Logan's fixing, she's going in tomorrow. She told me to have her child. I guarantee you they're not waiting until after tomorrow to start fixing up the room for the child. They're not going to say, well, well, let's make sure the child comes home. She may be pregnant another six months. Who knows? We, uh, they, they're already expect, that's, they're expecting it. They're anticipating and they're acting accordingly. The Jews were looking for the Messiah and they didn't recognize him because he didn't come the way they expected. Sometimes God's going to bring things to us. We've got to expect it, but he'll bring it to you differently than you expected it. But don't, that, he's teaching you something that he's, he's shaping it the way, the best way to bring it to you. I went to uh, Noss Funeral Home here a week or two ago uh, to view Mike. Mike Radacki. I went to school with Mike Radacki. He did a lot of work for us at the farm supply. And when I was mowing this out here, and he would help me out a lot, he was a grade above me in school. But I was standing in line going up there to talk to his wife and, and uh, look at him in the casket and everything. And uh, there was a boy in front of me. He turned and said, hey, Wes, how you doing? I said, all right, good to see you. He said, you know me? I said, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I was embarrassed because I... I, his face kind of looked familiar, but I ain't seen him in 50 years probably. I said, I, I ought to, but I don't. And he said, I'm t 
Tommy Poupard. I said, oh, Tommy. Man, I, we played football again. We did all, that's, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't see it. And I wasn't even thinking. Uh, anyway, God says, I'm going to answer it, but I'm going to answer it a, a different way. I'm going to teach you that my ways are a little bit bigger than yours, and I'm the one that's going to have the final answer to how it comes to you. You need to learn that. Here's the next thing he's going to teach you when he answers it. He answers them when the time is right. What he's saying is, I see the end from the beginning. I see a bigger picture. All you see is this is what your need is or this is what you want. I'm seeing something bigger than that. So he's going to answer it when the time is right. Don't think that God's like a businessman that's got 400 stacks of papers on his desk and he'll get to yours whenever he gets to it. That's the way we think God ain't even heard my prayer. He heard you the minute you ask it. So if it's delayed and coming, it's not because he hasn't got around to it yet. I'll catch it sometime next week or two. No, it's not that at all. He hears you immediately. Let me, let me give you an illustration. This might not make sense. Say you got a teenager turned 16, just turned 16, and they say, Daddy, will you help me get a car? They just turned 16. They, they go going to get their driver's license. But I know they haven't been taking their homework very seriously. They haven't been doing, they've been very uh, disrespectful. They've been doing a lot of things. They're just, they don't concentrate well and, and they don't do things. I'm scared if I give them a car right now, they're not quite ready for it. I want to. I want to give them a car. But I don't want them to get out there and kill themselves or whatever. And so I'm waiting until they show a little bit more responsibility or whatever because I'm wanting to give it to them. It's just I'm holding back because I'm looking out for them. And sometimes God does that. He wants to bring the answer to us, but we're just not ready to accept it. Uh, And I tell you this, it will come at the right time. It will not be one minute too late. Man, if you'd have got it here yesterday, we could have done something with it. I promise you it won't be too late when he brings the answer. Here's another thing he wants us to learn. He answers our requests a lot of times when it seems humanly impossible. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get us to realize, without me, boy, you can't do it. You trust in too much of yourself. If I answer it real quick every time you got it, every time you ask me, you get to thinking, you got this thing down, manipulating this, and, and, and you're part of the answer. I want you to realize without me you can do nothing. And so I'm going to get you to where you're absolutely helpless sometimes and quit trusting in yourself, quit trusting in the formula, quit trusting in putting them in the box and all that. You just watch me. I'll bring it. But I'm going to bring it when it seems like that all hope is gone sometimes. That way you'll know only I did this. And then the, the final one, he'll, he'll, he's going to try to teach you and change you. He said, I'm going to answer it when it brings me the glory. Uh, he doesn't share his glory. Uh, there's a lot of thieves in the Bible. There's a lot, Satan, of course, is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, but you're not going to rob God of his glory. Whenever he's in a position where he'll be glorified through it, he's going to bring that answer the way he wants. Believe me, I believe God wants to answer prayer more than we want him to. But he wants to do it in his ways, and he wants us to learn how to trust him and so forth. And he's not going to be manipulated and, and coerced by us that way. He's going to have, we're going to have to believe him. We're going to have to trust him. 
Prayer and faith, listen to this, and I'll go to the next one. Prayer and faith is not about getting our will done in heaven. It's about God's will getting done on earth. All right, what can we learn from unanswered prayer? If he's trying to shape us and change the way we think and act and respond, what can we learn from unanswered prayer? Like I said earlier, no is an answer. I'm going to give you five reasons he won't answer your prayer. So you need to understand this. One, if you're walking in open sin and disobedience. Psalm 66, 18. Listen. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. He said that's going to stop it. You know, I'm not a doctor or anything, but I think normal temperature, body temperature is 98.6. Now, if you're five degrees Above that, that's not normal. You've got a bad fever. You're 103, 104 degrees. You're not feeling good. If you're five degrees below that, you're fixing to die because hypothermia set in. Your body temperature gets to 95, you're shutting down. So 98.6 is normal. You cannot walk in disobedience to God. The Holy Spirit's convicting you. The Holy Spirit's pointing out things that you need to stop, that you need to address, you need to repent of. You can't just let that go and think God's going to just wait and answer all your prayers. Your life, your relationship with Him is a big part of it sometimes. Now, doesn't mean every time the prayer doesn't get answered immediately that there's some kind of sin in your life, but I'm saying that is a problem sometimes. You can't walk in disobedience and get God to just jump at your request. Number two, doubting and double-mindedness. James 1, 6 through 8. This will stop it. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Is that pretty clear? That's the New King James Version. That didn't even have to do that in the King James Version. Let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, there's a lot of bad words that start with the letter D in the Bible. Let me give you some of them. Debt, disease, demons, disaster, death. And I'm going to give you two more. Doubting and double-mindedness. Those are two killers in many different ways. Did you know that Abraham, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's body was dug up on two different occasions? In, 18, uh, in the late 18, 1887, let's see, 1887 and 1901. They dug it up twice. Not because they were trying to do some kind of investigation or getting DNA or anything like that. Because there was a rumor that was started that he was not in that grave. And there was enough of it going around the country, they dug him up on two different occasions because they, people had doubts that he was in that grave for some reason. I don't know all the ramifications, but they did dig him up. Jesus rebuked the disciples seven times with words like this, Oh, ye of little faith, how long will you doubt? Doubt is something we struggle with, all of us. Peter, he doubted and he started sinking. Thomas, I wasn't there. I'm going to have to see it to believe that he'd risen from the... All of us at times battle doubts. John the Baptist in prison. Uh, go ask him and see if he's really the Messiah. We need to be looking for somebody else. That's the one that introduced the Messiah. 
Doubts is a, is a problem that plague all of us. It's a difficult thing. But when you ask God for something, if you're not going to believe him, if you're not going to trust him, don't expect it to come. I've, I've had this happen two different times in my life. Once I was in Lake City or someplace. Other was, I'm not even sure. But I was at a restaurant, and I got ready. I said, could you bring me my bill? And uh, they said, somebody's already paid for your bill. Now, in Lake City, I didn't know anybody in that restaurant, but I'd seen one old boy that I'd met uh, before, and that's the only one I could think of that knew me that would have paid my bill. But whenever you get presented with something like this, you've got two choices. You can say, no, I'm paying my bill anyway. I, I, I didn't do that one. I can promise you I didn't do that one. <laughs> or you can receive what's been done for you. You've got that choice. Don't be double-minded about it. Well, that's the way it is with God. You're either going to have to trust Him or you've got to go the other route. Here's the third thing that will put a hindrance on your prayers. Selfish motives. We read that as part of our text, but let's read it again. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, let me tell you what selfish praying is not. A lot of people say, well, see, we don't have a right to ask for anything personally because that's selfish. Our prayers should be all for everybody else. That is not true. Sometimes asking for yourself is humbling. I mean, they're saying, Lord, I need help. I, I can't do it. I need direction. I need this. It's a sign of humility when you're asking for yourself. That's not what he's talking about. Selfish praying is when it's just to, you're, all you're thinking about is your own fleshly pleasure and nothing else. Your own carnal things. Uh, that, that's, that's all you want. God, I want you to do this for me. And it's probably, you probably wouldn't be pleased, probably going to leave me away from you a little bit, but that's what I want, and I want you to do it. That's more of a selfish, fleshly, self-centered praying. Let me tell you something. Life's not all about us. Here's what Paul told Timothy. He said, in the last days, men would be lovers of their own selves more than lovers of God. You know, some people quote the Scripture, yeah, but the Bible says the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah, but quote the first of that. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you desires. When you're delighting yourself in God, your desires are different. And they're not just selfish, carnal desires, but God will do things for you individually, but, but it changes you. Here's another thing. A spirit of stinginess. Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever shuts the, his ears to the cry of the poor, if you, you don't care about others will also cry himself and not be heard. And that's not just talking about others, that's talking about God. So if, if you're only concerned about you and nobody else, uh, it's going to affect your prayers a lot of times. Uh, we've been given a lot. We ought to be the most generous people on the face of the earth. And if you're stingy and, and uh, closed-handed and closed-fisted and all that, uh, it's gonna, you don't appreciate what you've been given, is all I can say. And the final one is disharmony in home, 1 Peter 3, 7. This will mess up your prayers. Husbands likewise dwell with them, talking about your wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of his grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So that relationship... Any relationships you have with others affects your relationship with God in some way. But the husband-wife relationship uh, is a big one, and it affects your prayers and everything else. And so anyway, 
God says, I want to answer. I want to get involved. I want you to call on me. And some of them I'm going to answer and some of them I'm not. And there's different reasons. But he's working in us in both of those things. He's try, I'm trying to shape you to le- help you to learn something when I answer and when I'm not answering so you can make some changes in your life. One little boy went up to a man and said, what's the best way to pray? He said, son, I'm going to give you some advice. The best way to pray, best time to pray is just before you die. And the little boy thought about it. He says, well, I don't know when I'm going to die. He says, exactly, so you better be praying all the time. <laughs> and that's, that's a lot of truth of that. One, one guy that prayed all his life, was known for his prayers, a, a guy that wasn't really a Christian, said, what good has your praying done all this time? Has it been beneficial to you? Has it been a, you've been praying regularly for decades? Has it gained you anything? He says, yes, it's gained me a lot of things. He said, I'll tell you this, I've lost a lot of things too by praying. He said, so see there, it's all canceled itself out. It ain't been any benefit at all. He said, I've lost a lot of my anger. I've lost a lot of my pride. I've lost a lot of greed. I've lost some depression. I've lost uh, selfishness. I've lost fear. I've lost a lot of things. Prayer's working in us, not just what God's doing for us, but what he's doing in us. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wind this down and close with something here probably one of the more controversial passages in the bible of prayer that i can think of and we're talking about changing god or changing us is in exodus exodus chapter 32 verse 11 through 14 i'm gonna this you're, you're familiar with this but let's watch this then moses pleaded with the lord his god and said lord see because god just got through telling moses i'm gonna wipe these people out I've had all I can take of these Israelites. I'll wipe them out. I'm going to hang on to you, Moses. We'll start a new bunch. (laughs) All right. And Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented, King James says repented, from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And I've always said, see there? Now that's what a praying man can do. He can get God to back down. That ain't right. I want to show you how it changes us. Here's, what, here's the three things Moses went to God for. He said, you're going to destroy your people. Number one, he said in verse 11, uh, he appealed to his mercy. You showed them such mercy by bringing them out of this bondage they were in. You're telling me your mercy's gone all that quickly? And now you're just going to destroy them? Then he, he appealed to his character. He said, God, what's everybody else going to say? What kind of God are those people serving? Took them out there and killed them. So he appealed to his character. Then he appealed to his promises. He said, wait a minute. You made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel. He mentioned new kings. You going to go back on your promise? And it says God repented or God relented. Now, it doesn't mean he repented 
like we repent. It just means he changed his mind or he changed what he was going to do. Now, here's what a lot of people think, or what I used to think. See there? Moses backed God down. Let me tell you something. Moses was not telling God anything that God didn't know. When he says, uh, God's not saying, boy, you, you just brought something to my attention I didn't know about. And I'm going to tell you this. Moses was not keeping God from making a mistake. God didn't say, boy, I'm glad I got you, Moses. I about messed up and killed all them people. Thank you for helping me. It's really comical. That's the way we think sometimes. God knew what he wanted to do. Here's a scripture in Jeremiah 18, 7, 8. This is the way God does. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck it up and pull down and destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring to it. He said, I'm looking to spare. I'm looking to heal. I'm looking to bless if people give, if their changes are being made. If changes are being made. Let me, let, me, let me close with this one little example. When a little three- or four-year-old child says your grandchild or maybe it's your child comes to you with telling you something that's really exciting to them, they can't hardly catch their breath, they're trying to tell you something that they just experienced or they just saw, they come to their father, and their father a lot of times says, yeah, I know that that's this, this, and that, or I had that happen to me one time, and it kind of kills the little child's story. But their mama... And they come to Mama and tell them what they just saw. Mama's eyes get big. And her mouth goes, and that little child just pours out their heart. They feel like they're sharing something Mama ain't never heard. And that's really what prayer is. When we're pouring out our heart to God, God's changing something in us. Whether the answer comes or doesn't come. He says, I'm here, I'm listening. Pour it out. And when we pour it out in faith and believing, he is not only changing our world, he is changing us. And that's one of the great ways that God works in us. It's not by what he brings to us. It's what he's doing through us and in us. The things he does and the things he withholds. He's showing us something about ourselves that needs to be changed because he wants it brings him great pleasure to be involved in the lives of his children. Would you stand with me? Would you join me at a time of prayer? We've got a few extra minutes. Let's just spend some time in prayer asking God, show me, change me as I call on you. I, I, I wonder all the time, what are you doing? What am I doing? Help me, Lord. Help me in this thing of prayer. May I find out something about myself as well as find out something about you. Mold me, shape me, form me, fashion me. Some things have been praying about a long time. God, continue to work in our life, in our midst. Shape us, Lord. Let's spend some time and just... Seek the face of God. Seek the face of God. Oh, blessed Lord. These cell phones are big, but we'd rather hear from you.
And we, re- we know that you want to hear from us. God, I praise you. May we run to you. With everything in our life, may we run to you first and foremost. Show us, Lord, our doubts and our double-mindedness. Show us, Lord, things that we're sin that we're harboring. Show us, Lord, where we're being stingy or greedy. Show us, Lord, where we're not listening to what you're saying. Show us, Lord, when we put you on the clock and you're not coming at our time, so we just do it ourselves. Show us the mess we can make. Show us how you're in control. And prayer is one of the greatest ways you can show us. You're Almighty God. You're a very present help in time of trouble. But you want a family that comes to you in the right way, in the right attitude. We bless you, Lord God, each one of us here today. We're still battling troubles and trials. We're still fighting a fight. It's a good fight of faith, but it's a fight. We still have to put on the whole armor of God. We still have to go forward in the power of the name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, as we do that, You'll begin to shape us, shape us, knock off the edges, change the way we think, change the way we believe, change the way we anticipate, change the way we view you, change the way we view ourselves, change the way we view our sin that we're holding on to. Change us, Lord, as we pray, as we call on your name. Put us on the potter's wheel, Lord. Job said, when I'm through this trial and test, I'm coming out as gold. And, Lord, we believe when we truly learn the value and power of prayer, we'll come out like gold, too. And we'll see the greatness of our God and the great pleasure it brings to you when your kids will trust you. We love you, Lord. Thank you most of all for loving us. May your hand be upon us as we leave here today. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. You continue to pray if you want to pray. If you need help, we'll pray with you.